0: Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou White.
1: Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're glad to have you back with us this Tuesday. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host. Lou Weiss, Lou's uh, Company, All Metals and Forge Group is the sponsor of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Lou, how are you today?
2: Terrific, terrific. Looking forward to the show today. We've got a couple of interesting people. I would like to talk about uh, what we did uh, uh, last week. Uh, we had uh, a couple of interesting folks on. Or uh, from uh, Strategic T Gas. Um they are a, a forecast economic forecast company. Uh, he's regular on our show. It's a regular in our news. and uh very knowledgeable gentleman from uh on a basis. Uh t- today's uh big news and uh usually Tuesday is not a great uh not a great uh, uh news that uh, sam with their p m i uh, number the number that's fallen before fifty is now forty eight uh six i believe it is and we do have uh uh Brad him, uh, on later in the show, and he will be discussing uh, the situation as it exists. Uh,
1: I'd like to uh, welcome our guests to uh, the show today. We're going to be talking about uh, Section 179, which is a... a, a tax credit, and I will uh, have the experts in that area speak to it. We have uh, Vince Paolucci, who is a partner with Wiser Mazars, on the show with us. Vince, welcome to the show.
3: Hello, Tim. How are you? Uh, thanks for having Good. us.
1: Good. We're excited to have you on the show today. We also have Gianluca Carabs who's Senior Tax Associate with Wiser Mazars on the show. And I'll let each of these gentlemen share with our audience uh, what they do in their practice. Um, but I would like, Vince, to give us an overview of Wiser Mazars and, and what the firm does, what you folks do, and then we can jump into Section 179. Sure. Thank
3: you, Tim. Uh, once again, uh, my name is Vince Pellucci. I'm a CPA at the firm, a tax partner, heading up the Long Island office tax operations. Uh, Wiser Mazars is a regional right now and almost national accounting firm consisting of about 800 individuals with offices in Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey, New York, Long Island, Chicago, Florida, and California, and also with an international reach associated with the Mazars Group over in France uh, with uh, offices in about 72 countries. Uh, We're a full-service firm uh, specializing in various types of businesses and markets, uh, a lot of owner-managed businesses. Uh, I particularly are in the. I'm in the manufacturing distribution market segment of the firm, uh, which is probably uh, the largest percentage of our revenue firm-wide uh, in that group. So we, we service a fair amount of clients in manufacturing distribution. Hence, I guess the reason why I've been asked to speak on this topic to this group. Uh, and you know, we do a lot of different things: international, state, and local, and so on and so forth. Uh, uh, Pretty, pretty well diverse firm, and it's been around for a, f- a fair number of years.
1: Well, it's, uh, it certainly uh, sounds like an excellent firm, and we are very excited to talk about this Section 179, particularly as it relates to manufacturing, because that's one of your largest uh, segments in the firm. Uh, Vince, why don't you give us an idea for our listeners what Section 179 is and what's kind of been happening to it over 2014-2015?
3: Sure, like I'd love to do that um, for the listeners. One seventy nine um, is a deduction. I just want to be clear that it's not a credit; it's a tax deduction. Uh, it's a an it, 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 it expense election that you can make with a tax return, without having to make an actual election to expense a certain amount of the assets that you've acquired, uh, fixed assets, your manufacturing equipment, furniture, and fixtures, and so forth. Uh, right, the limits were rather large last year. That you could expense up to half a million dollars of acquired assets and take that as a upfront deduction off your taxable income. Uh, if your total investment didn't exceed more than two million dollars, there is some phase out uh, there. But the, the issue with 179 right now is the after 2014. Starting in 15, the limits were reduced to $25,000 again, uh, which was part of a, uh, the changes in some of the tax act uh, last year. The, it was extended in December back to a half a million dollars as well, uh, kind of at the last minute. Uh, we're expecting, hopefully, uh, Congress does the same this year and reenacts and re- uh, the half a million dollar deduction again. Uh, unfortunately, it might be too late for some uh, uh, companies to make investments. You know, which we get into later and some observations. But the 179 is is an item that allows you to accelerate depreciation on assets and get you some good upfront tax deductions and some good savings uh, in the beginning.
1: And there's another aspect that uh, we talked about briefly uh, prior to the show. and that was bonus is that correct
3: sure tim yeah we spoke about bonus i i like to speak about bonus and 179 and depreciation all in a in one package and luca would is going to give some monetize it a little bit in a moment for you but 179 is a a expense selection that could be made uh, up to limits Uh, bonus depreciation was another vehicle in which uh, manufacturers could write off up to 50% of their asset acquisitions in the first year as well, uh, in addition to the 179 deduction, if the uh, if, uh, the asset acquisitions were new, and then on top of that, then you would have your regular depreciation. So you know a a taxpayer really in dire need of tax deductions, accelerated tax deductions, uh, when all the limits when all the limits are raised and are there, can take advantage of the three items: bonus, 179, and depreciation. And I was going to have just Luca quickly just run through a just a quick analysis just to give you an idea of what that means. Luca, why don't you just share that little example, if you can. Sure. It's uh, So if the tax extenders do
4: go through, and we're assuming a purchase of $1.1 million of equipment for a manufacturing entity, um, if the extension go through and... Congress decides to keep bonus depreciation and keep the Section 179 deduction at half a million dollars, we're also assuming a 35% tax rate, there's a potential tax savings of $300,000 for the entity. Now, if Congress doesn't go through and extend the bonus or 179, and they keep the limitation for Section 179 at $25,000, and they eliminate bonus completely there's only a tax savings of $77,000 based on regular depreciation and the $25,000 limit on Section 179. Now, that difference of $223,000 is significant for these manufacturing entities. They could go out and buy more equipment at the end of the year or for next year, and they could hire employees, um, put their money into inventory. So that tax saving is something that should be planned in advance, but Congress doesn't allow it based on uh, coming up with these extenders at you know, the end of December of this
2: current
1: year. Great,
2: yeah. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that uh, Congress waits till the end of the year uh, so that the manufacturers
3: Lou, I, I I heard the beginning of your question, but you're kind of breaking up on my line, um, but. I guess the answer to that is I'm not really quite sure personally. I don't really venture in the political arena. You know, we hear chatter that's going on, um, but I I don't have any specific answer for you of why it's being held or delayed up to this point. I could suspect that they looked at you know, they, could, they could they looked at their budgets and so on and so forth, and they made a determination. And um, probably redetermination at the end of the year, realizing that they would upset a lot of uh, business owners if they don't reinstitute these deductions.
1: Now there is a I bit guess. of a gotcha in this, isn't there, Vince? And that, or 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 uh, Gianluca, in that that equipment has to be plugged in by December 31st. Is that right? Correct. Well, it has
4: to be placed in service at before 12:31. Absolutely, in order to be a- eligible for the deduction.
1: Okay. Uh, and Vince, what kind of stuff falls into this and what kind of stuff doesn't fall into this? Okay. Well, it, very simply, the
3: stuff that doesn't fall into it is real property. Uh, a building, uh, uh, whether it be commercial or residential, Uh what falls into it are a lot of things, especially for manufacturers, clearly manufacturing equipment. I usually like to call them widget makers, your machinery, you know, the line or whatever it may be. Uh, also, furniture and fixtures in your office, computers, desks, uh, chairs, or whatever, whatever you decide to put into your office. Uh, and certain types of leasehold improvements, if you're doing some work in, in a building and you're reconfiguring the building, certain leaseholds, not to get too technical, but if the leaseholds are qualified leaseholds, then you could take 179 and bonus against that, where generally real property, which is buildings themselves, you, you cannot take these deductions for. So for a manufacturer, you know, it's more of the nuts and bolts of, of, of what they might acquire to put into their to their plant to build and, and to make something. That's what I would probably simplify it that way. You know, the, an observation that I think we talked about yesterday is where because these rules haven't been uh, reenacted yet, you know, manufacturers have been sitting, some of them have been sitting on the sidelines and waiting for this to happen before they made a capital investment. And, you know, back to your question, Lou, about, you know, why is Congress delaying it? You know, I find it, you know, I find it funny that we want to stimulate investment, stimulate large ticket purchases, and and keep things going in our economy. And this certainly would have been an opportunity for certain manufacturers who were elect had an elective need to buy certain equipment would have already made some expenditures by now. Clearly, I, I tell clients that if you need to purchase something, you purchase it and let the economics make the the ultimate decision, and not the tax. Uh, result. But you're, you're asking now, you, you would reinstate this thing two and a half weeks before the end of the year, and manufacturers going to have to now uh, run out and, and do what they can to take advantage of this thing if they needed to buy something. And the likelihood of them getting something and plugging it in by the end of the year is very, very small. So you know, there's the disadvantage to what's going on here, uh, or the unfair piece of it, I should say.
1: Um, Luca, in the world of the Internet of Things, the Industrial Internet of Things, big data, connecting machines to uh, uh, the servers and then collecting all of the data, is technology and software included in the 179?
3: Uh, yes, it is.
1: I think well, that's going to going to be an error. Go ahead, Ben.
3: No, well, software. Uh, comp- anything that has a life of five to seven to ten years would be considered property eligible for 179 or bonus, and uh, certain software. Some certain software actually could be expensed based upon different election criteria with the IRS, but generally, software is falls within software is usually considered three year life in most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but the computer equipment is generally considered five or seven year. So an entire upgrade of a, of a company's IT system could qualify for a full expense selection depending on the amount of money they put in. And we have taken advantage of this in the years where clients have decided to upgrade their computer model, their software programs. Uh, we have we consult with a lot of our clients to look at their new soft, look at software, and see if the package is bringing their business to the next level. And in a lot of cases, we're referring consultants to take a look at this software package to see if it's going to do the job for them down the road. It might be good for them now, some clients might be using QuickBooks, which is a great program. But when you get into the the larger revenue uh, targets and and more uh, integrated approach with inventory, your program has to be more sophisticated. So clearly, the planning around this is, is very unique. You have to let them know that this opportunity exists and that it helps all to them going out there and purchasing uh, their upgrades.
1: Prince, let's, let's talk about the, a moment, uh, your experience with your manufacturing customer base. Do they know about this?
3: Well, uh, you know, do they know about it? I would think that most of our clients, or specifically the clients that I work on, uh, are uh, understand this and do know about it and understand what the issues are right now. Uh, because I do consult my clients on a regular basis. Uh, I would tend to think that uh, most accounting firms who have good relationships with their clients would already prompt them to these issues. So I think a lot of manufacturers may know about this. But I also find that a a lot of clients do not know certain things, or they don't read. You know, a lot of of this information is public. You know, uh, you're not going to find them in the Daily News or the New York Post or any kind of, uh, paper of that nature but you know if you read the journal or any kind of trade magazines there might be articles on this about it but I really think it's incumbent upon the tax professional to share this information there with their clients and keep them abreast and it also those good planning you know it's hard to sit down with a client and and then ask you questions without them understanding about these rules because cash flow is always a big issue for a manufacturer. And this will certainly help cash flow and cut down their cost of funds if they're going to get a, a larger tax refund because of these deductions or spend less money in taxes. It's more money in the pocket. They don't have to go to the bank, possibly, for the extra capital, you know. And uh, and, and just let me let me backtrack about this and put everything in perspective here because I said in the beginning it was not a credit. It is a deduction. It's an accelerated depreciation deduction. Now with depreciation, whatever you take now, you kind of give back later. Depreciation, an accelerated deduction today, turns around into a a lower depreciation number down the road. So, you know, it's a zero sum gain over a period of time from a tax point of view. The the real savings is the time value of money when when you really put you know put put it to the test. So even if you if you're getting a three hundred thousand dollar tax refund today at some point down the road you will be paying that back in some indirect fashion so when you but when you factor in your cost of funds that's really where the net real savings is going to be uh in in terms of getting some cash today and not having to borrow so i just wanted to make that clear that this is just not a one-time thing that you get and never have to give back
1: Okay, and is there an impact of the various stimulus acts on Section 179?
3: Well, again, 179 has been in the code for for a number of years. And over a period of a number of years through 2013, it's been somewhat permanent. Uh, But in 2014, it started to change, uh, and they reduced the limits uh, to much lower numbers, and they only extended it. Uh, temporarily retroactively to 14 in December of 2014 so in 2014 most of the planning was probably done with a lower limit unless the accountants felt good about them coming back with this deduction which some of us did we we felt somewhat optimistic about it and and the R&D credit falls into that too which is something we could talk about if you'd like but the it's not a st- you know it's all part of stimulus yes it all it's all part of of getting some cash in and let people be able to reinvest money back to the economy back in, as lucas said payroll and grow their business and it's kind of it's kind of i don't want to use the word sad but it's un- unfair that they're doing this at the last minute and again it's being done now at the last minute if it's done at all we hope and i just read something today that um, I don't. I, I heard something today that there's going to be a push to make it permanent, which is where we need it to be. We need to be a permanent item in the code, and not something that could go up or down uh, at any point in time. You know, when it's permanent, it's written in the statute, and it's going to be fixed until such other time there might be a change in, in the law. But right now, it's not being seen as a permanent uh, uh, correction yet, or a permanent deduction. And one well, thing mentioned. I'd like to add. I'm sorry. One thing I'd like to add is that. It's ironic that the bonus depreciation,
4: Section 179, is, is being advocated by politicians as a method of stimulating the economy through asset a- acquisitions, but they don't extend or make permanent these deductions until year-end and don't allow these investments to take place until there's a tax benefit out of it. And it just, it's just ironic that these politicians are driving – Um, asset acquisitions through depreciation, yet they can't come up with a decision on what to do with these deductions.
1: Hmm. Good point, Luca. Yeah, I think it's a little of Washington smoke and mirrors. You know, it plays well in the media making a few votes, but they don't have to really commit to it, so Mm. that's a a challenge dealing with Washington. But you mentioned, Vince, for a moment the R&D. Why don't we talk about that?
3: Well, I I know it's outside the scope of this discussion, but I think it's deserves a, a, a quick one minute uh, only because of our experiences. The, the R&D credit is, is a credit available to various types of businesses, not just manufacturers, and in a general sense, the credit against tax. Uh, usually it's measured mostly by wages, but mostly by the costs associated with the company, either uh, developing a product, a new product, or improving the the line or improving the production of a product. Uh, And that's very simplistic, by the way. And we found that R&D, the R&D is in the tax code right now, but again, it's still, it's not permanent. It's been extended for the last seven or eight years that I can remember every time we go back and forth, back and forth. Uh, But we've we've been taking advantage of the R&D credit uh, through doing a study of a company's operations and determining whether or not they were eligible for this credit. And this credit could be a very, very large number and a very big benefit to various types of of businesses. Manufacturing is really the hot spot because manufacturers themselves either develop or improve a a line or, or improve the method in which they produce a product. And in a lot of cases, the cost that go into that process The wages, mostly, could be eligible for a nice credit. And that credit is a dollar-for-dollar credit off your tax. You know, the credit does have limitations based upon uh, alternative minimum tax issues, and I'm not going to get into all that just now, maybe a discussion for a later date. But I find here that most, a lot of our clients do not know about this credit. Uh, It's out there, but maybe it's not out there the way it should be. And we've been bringing it to light. And it's been really a a great opportunity for clients to get some real money back without having to give it back. Unlike depreciation, the credit is your money. It stays in your pocket. Uh, So for, for manufacturers especially, if the manufacturers out there are not thinking about this credit or their accountants are not bringing it to the table, my recommendation would be to mention it to their advisor, or they could reach out to us and ask us a few questions. And usually the determination process is not very long. Uh, if there is a determination that a credit may exist, then usually you, you engage the, the, a professional group to do a study and do an analysis, which will be supported under audit because the IRS does consider this a little bit of a hot spot uh, because some people like to take advantage of the, of the credit and maybe take too much of it. But clearly we have we have clients that benefited on the terms of hundreds of thousands of dollars in in these credits, and clients that never thought that a credit may even exist in their business just by talking to us we we identified an opportunity uh, and again, the opportunity is real it 's not that we something was invented, it was real, and it is available it 's in the code you know and um, so you know just something that the, the the listening group should keep in mind because to me, 179 bonus depreciation R&D, all these things go hand in hand in, in really advising a client and, and looking at uh, value-added opportunities that a client could take advantage of to get some real money back in their pocket at, at
2: you know, minimal costs. Uh, I'd like to uh, just interject for a moment. Uh, you've got an incredible amount of information and that would be valuable to our listeners. And I just want to, we're coming up near the end of the segment uh, shortly, and I'd like to make sure that you give your uh, website uh, address and an email if, in fact, you choose to give us an email. So, why don't you sure. give that to us for our listeners?
3: Okay, so I'm Vince Pellucci. My email address is as follows Vincent V I N C E N T dot last name Palucci, Piaz and Peter A O L U C C I at Wiser W E I S E R Mazar, Mazars M A Z A R S dot com Very Long <laughs> Uh <laughs> But hopefully everybody got it down if, if you don't know if you really if you, if you didn't get it, you could go onto our website uh, wisezars.com I'm listed there as one of the partners, and my contact information is there as well Vince you
1: also put out some newsletters through the firm. do you not How do, how do listeners get uh, those newsletters?
3: Well, that's a great question we do We put out a quarterly uh, um, M&D newsletter in all our different segments uh, if any of the listening group would like to be on that email blast send me an email with your information I'll bring it into my marketing department and you'll go on the list and you could get our, our newsletters quarterly uh, and then any other type of information that comes out we we do email blasts on once this, if this extender is passed this will be an email blast so a lot of information comes out of the firm on thought leadership in a lot of areas, and we'll be glad to put you on our list for information.
2: That's great. Thank you.
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, I uh, would like to uh, have you probably add us onto that, uh, Vince, because we would like to see that information as well. A lot of great information coming out from the firm, and something that we try to do here on Manufacturing Talk Radio is to look over information that's coming out of Some of the guests that we've had on the show, uh, particularly those who are exceptionally knowledgeable like uh, Vince and Luca have uh, demonstrated that they are today, and to share that information on an ongoing basis. So this isn't just a a one-off discussion. Uh, We will probably invite them back on the show uh, uh, sometime next year to kind of update us on what's happening, uh, both with 179. Uh, We might want to do some discussion on the R&D Uh, piece of it, because there are some nuances, but it's a great uh, opportunity for uh, businesses. So I just want to thank Vince, uh, you for being on our show today, and Luca as well.
3: Well, thank you for having us, gentlemen. It's been a real pleasure Thank you. to your listening group. Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: And we're going to take a a brief commercial break here, and then we're going to be back with Brad Holcomb, who is the chair of the Institute of Supply Management's Uh, report on business for the manufacturing sector, which just came out this morning. Uh, Brad is a little crunched for time on the first because he's on over a dozen programs. So let's take a commercial break, and we'll come right back with Brad Holcomb.
0: Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back.
5: How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. Thirty years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification, fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line.
0: All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290.
2: American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778.
0: Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. In this segment, we're going to be speaking with Mr. Brad Holcomb, who is the the committee chair of the ISM's Manufacturing Report on Business, which just came out at 10 a.m. this morning, Eastern Time, and we're always excited to have Brad on the show. Brad, welcome back.
6: Thank you very much. I'm always excited to be here.
2: Well, we appreciate the time, Brad. This this is Oh, sorry, I over to
1: you. How are you doing, Brad? Flew. I'm doing
6: great. Thank you. Great. Appreciate it.
1: <sighs> we we uh, are always <laughs> excited to have you on the show because you go into great depth in this report, and it's more than just a number, as we've talked about in the past. So I'd like to have you uh, kind of walk through the first section of the report, and if anybody's interested right. in getting this, it's instituteforsupplymanagement.com. You can find the report on their website. Sorry, dot org, uh, And you can find it on their website. Brad, go ahead.
6: Yes, yes. Uh, and this is a particularly good month to look uh, more deeply beyond the headline number of the PMI at 48.6 because there's, there's a lot behind uh, all of these numbers each month, and this month is, is no exception. So from an overall perspective, uh, the PMI registered uh, 48.6. It dropped down into contraction territory for the first time in three years, exactly three years. That was November 2012 when we had the only other dip below 50 uh, since the recovery started in the time timeframe. Uh, And only five of 18 industries reported growth, while 10 reported contraction in the PMI. So definitely a little bit of a chilly uh, month in November, uh, both literally and figuratively. And it was led by uh, a decline in new orders, Uh, also the first time it's declined since November of 2012, down 4 percentage points to 48.9. And then uh, the next sub-index is is production, off 3.7 percentage points uh, following new orders, if you will, to 49.2. That's the first contraction in production since August of 2012. And note I've referred several times to 2012, which is remarkably like the year we ha- we're having in, in 2015. Uh, let me keep going down our, our list. The, the next two sub-indexes are employment and supplier deliveries, and then I'll get to inventories. On the employment side, good news. Uh, above 50 from last month's contraction, up 3.7 percentage points to 513 this is a bright spot in this particular report because our, employ- our, our companies would not add to employment ranks unless they saw uh, a good flow of orders uh, on into the, to the short and medium term. Uh, supplier deliveries uh, slowing uh, just, just slightly, um, slowing a little faster than last month. Uh, that's kind of neither here nor there. It's it's so close to fifty. But I do want to comment on the next uh, and, and fifth sub index of the PMI, and that is inventories of raw materials. At forty three, that's the, the same as it was in the lowest since December of two thousand and twelve. Once again, two thousand and twelve. And inventories at 43, down three and a half percentage points from last month, is a pretty low number, and it is dragging the PMI down more so than than either new orders or production, which are actually quite close to 50. So inventories of raw materials is sort of the culprit this month, and it's just um, you know sort of a fact of of where inventories are at this point, I think partially driven by a desire and a plan to reduce inventories going into the year end so that when you close the books, uh, you're not sitting on uh, too, too much inventory. Uh, so, so there's sort of an overview of, of uh, the component parts of, of the PMI uh, down one and a half percentage points uh, from last month, dipping below 50 for the first time since November of 2012.
1: Well, Brett, I think you're right on inventories. They're trying to shave them off before they uh, close the year end. Is that typical? Have you seen that in prior years? Yeah, it
6: is pretty typical. I went back and and kind of rescanned over the years, and it's uh, it's very typical. And uh, this is. Uh, so, once again, we have five sub indexes. all five up until a couple of years ago were seasonalized, so that one month would look like any other month. Uh, however, a couple of years ago, through our statistical analysis, inventories is no longer seasonalized, so it will kind of you know flow according to you know seasonal. Uh, characteristics and, and year end would be would be one of those uh, milestones where we'll see it come down.
1: Okay, okay. Well, that that certainly makes sense. It, uh, it's going to have probably done a bit more volatility in it than the other end yeah. you know, the sub indexes. Yeah. What yeah. about the yeah. uh, other five things? I know that you track customer inventories, uh, inventories, prices, et cetera. Give us kind of a walkthrough on what's happening there yeah. as well. With, with any insight that you could offer us, listeners.
6: Yeah, there's, there's a couple of interesting things here, and uh, let's start with customer inventories. 50.5, um, it's you know, very close to what it was last month at 51, registering too high, but just sort of slightly too high in the view of our manufacturers. Um, and so there's a little bit of a propensity to, to hold back on new orders as a result of, of slightly too high customer inventories. Um, now, getting into something that's that's much more interesting to, to me is prices of raw materials. At 35.5, it's down, again, three-and-a-half percentage points, decreasing for the 13th consecutive month. Uh, this is... Um, I certainly unprecedented under, under my watch. And as we talk each month, uh, it's largely attributed to the, the new price of, of oil and related commodities. And so uh, that's a, has been to, to this point this year, a, a positive thing for most of our uh, industries. Uh, because it translates into a lower cost of manufacturing, and it opens up the opportunity to to save some of those prices, not pass them on at least fully to to end users or customers, open up margins, enhance profitability, which is uh, good to to keep our our companies healthy, if you will. so in uh, let's let's just call. 13 months the short term in the short term lower raw material prices uh, favors most of manufacturing Uh, in the longer term um, probably not Uh, it would be more of a reflection of softer overall global demand if prices continued to be deflationary which is a term that um, we we kind of like to to stay away from or, or not talk about. But it's it's happening in raw materials.
2: And um, uh, except uh, in primary I, metals, I noticed, I noticed that that's picked up a bit. They're one of the five that did grow.
6: Primary metals?
2: Yeah. Is, am I, am in, uh, I not seeing that correctly? Yes,
6: yes, that's correct. That's correct. Primary metals uh, yeah, in terms of new see. orders.
2: If you and can't forget the uh, the sponsor of this show now. <laughs> uh,
6: I know, I know. God forbid. Uh, Let Let's keep going down down the list here. But I want to I want to stick with prices for a second. Okay. Um, we are going to be releasing on December eighth a forecast, as we always do at that time of year, for the year ahead so on december 8th we'll have a forecast from this same panel uh, to tell us what they think about next year and within that report which is pretty extensive uh, we've asked two special questions of our panel one about the impact of continuing low oil prices whether it's positive negative negligible or don't know and we've asked a second similar question about the price of the dollar and so we'll get some deep insights into those two issues in terms of how it's impacted manufacturing broadly in uh, 2015 so stay tuned for the December 8 release
1: that's uh, certainly an excellent report. Uh, we look uh, forward to it. Brad, I, I noticed something that's kind of cropping up uh, in the last three reports, and that's commodities up in price. And I think if I recall the previous two reports, again, it was listed as none. Well, it's
6: been a, a very short list uh, uh, recently, and this month it's it's none up in price, um, and on the other hand, commodities down in price, we've got a number of that are continuing for for several months in a row. and uh, that pretty much includes all the the metals, the metals complex, which takes a lot of energy, a lot of oil, if you will, to to produce uh, hence the the downdraft here.
1: Ah, uh, okay, okay.
6: And so like, what you won't see that came up earlier in a, another discussion this morning is that we don't see the direct oil related products here, like plastics and resins, which have been coming down, of course, but uh, the fact that they're not uh, continuing on the commodities down in price list may suggest a bottoming out uh, of those particular commodities.
1: Brad, are any of your respondents uh, particularly alarmed by this report? Did you see anything in there that was uh, uh, you know, risk-slitting time? I, I don't think that that's the case.
6: No, no it's not, and I'm glad that you, you brought that up because if, if you look at our comments, and I try to select comments from the hundreds that I get that are representative of, of, of the sense and the flow of manufacturing on the whole. Uh, There are some that are continuing comments about the the low price of oil. And in this particular case, uh, the the comment basically says, hey, we've got to get used to this as a new reality uh, in terms of their expectations. That comes directly from the petroleum and coal products industry. Uh, We see comments about uh, the downturn in China. Uh, which is uh, again true from, as viewed through their PMI down, down again, and the strong dollar. So those are continuing comments, but pretty much more the same, if you will. On, on the other hand, uh, we see fabricated metal products, uh, comment saying automotive remains strong, which we know, transportation more broadly, including airplanes, business is still good, Miscellaneous manufacturing uh, comment. Medical devices continue to be strong. No surprise there because of the, the flourishing healthcare uh, industry. And then some that are you know, just sort of a little muted. Incoming orders have leveled off from the summer, furniture and related. And um, food, beverage, and tobacco month over month conditions are stable. So there's nothing here that nobody is saying, hey, I'm worried the sky is falling, et cetera. Not at all. Um, which leads me to want to comment more on on business cycles and manufacturing cycles in particular and go back to 2012, which I've alluded to a couple of times. I'm looking at my chart, and I'm looking at the patterns uh, Post recession, that is, we started to come out of the recession in 2009, and we had um, uh, pretty good years in, in 2009, 2010, and 11. Now, uh, in in 2012, the the result through November uh, average PMI of about 51.6, 51.7. Is exactly the same as the average PMI for this year through November and also what's uh, extremely similar is that in both Novembers 2012 2015 the PMI dipped below 50 and then in 2012 it jumped back to 50 even and then the following year Uh, the average PMI was 53.8, and the year after that, 2014, was 55.7. So here we sit in November 2015 at roughly the same point as we were in November 2012, and there's no reason to believe that um, it won't be up from here, Uh, and if – if my experience at the mall yesterday was anything like yours or those in your audience, <laughs>
1: I think,
6: I think people are spending, uh, in December.
1: Well, I think that's right. And it's interesting that you bring that up because as we drive around, just noticing what's happening at, at, uh, even strip malls, shopping malls, there seems to be a fair amount of activity. Restaurants seem to be doing well. People seem to be out spending money, uh, I don't hear any uh, sense of gloom and doom. Uh, mm-hmm. Occasionally, the the media burps up something about a recession, but it fades quickly. So I think right. this report is, uh, you know, indicative of a maybe a seasonal downturn that will pop back up in January.
2: As, as they uh, have always said in the past, uh, primary election years is always. Uh, Economically good for the country uh, Let us in, in spite of the fact that this is the most Bizarre electri- uh, uh, Election cycle yeah. uh, To say it mildly
5: uh, Are you, you running?
2: Uh, by the way uh, Not yet, I'm waiting to jump we're, in We're when, both uh, thinking about it When, when Donnie <laughs> okay. looks to get out uh, I'll jump in uh, Okay. We, we could wear our yellow jackets mm-hmm. That's a real Brand catcher but uh, what's your thought on that, as far as uh, election year cycles and the economy? You know, I'm not I, asking I for really, a forecast, right? <laughs> Which I don't do. <laughs> but um,
3: I know.
6: you know, and I, I'm not really conversant as as economists would be about you know these these types of cycles and, and impacts. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm I'm gonna. I just don't know uh, is is really the right answer for that, but it is certainly an interesting uh, you know political uh, situation right now with so many candidates and and um, you know that that along with geopolitical you know situations uh, elsewhere, um, China continuing to to struggle a bit with their economy. You know et cetera. so we, we we continue to be in an environment of uh, more uncertainty than we've had you know a few years ago and I'm I'm really not sure that that's going to change very much in the short term that the the degree of uncertainty which uh, you know drives attitudes and spending behavior and uh, and new orders and
1: such Brad let's talk about December eighth, the report, and I realize you can't go into the detail of the report, but can you just touch right. on for our listening audience what will be in that report when it comes yeah. out? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
6: That's a that's a very different report than we do monthly, uh, as as your audience knows. The the questions in each one of the dimensions is sort of like, you know, are things good are better, same, or worse than than last month. So it's very much related to to the prior month. We're looking for direction, and then we're looking for trends. Uh, In the latter part of the year, we do a forecast, which has a completely different set of questions. And uh, some some of those different questions relate to uh, increase in revenues, their estimation of the increase in revenues of their companies. And then we, we do that collectively. Uh, also, the improvement in uh, profit margins is something that we ask and predict. Um, and, and so there are some, some new things. And I mentioned the two special questions, which we, uh, we like to, to make relevant to the times that we're in. So we've asked about the price of oil, and the um, the price of the dollar, as special questions.
1: And mm-hmm. this
6: this re- this report is is quite comprehensive. It covers both manufacturing and non-manufacturing. So we're we're covering uh, the entire uh, GDP of the country in terms of our forecast between uh, Tony Nieves and myself.
1: Uh, Brad, anything, how many many different shows have you been on so far today? Who have you been with? Um, Oh, my gosh.
6: I've got three pages worth, and I'm on, you know, page two. (laughs) So (laughs) I've had about 15 calls. Uh, I have a couple of radio shows uh, left this afternoon, as well as um, uh, some, some magazine outlets. So. It's a lot. People are very interested in this. Um, uh, Most of them are my usual calls. And yet uh, this is the most interesting because I have more time to go into more depth.
1: Well, let me ask you this. Is there anything that you haven't been asked on one of those uh, shows today or or that you were asked that you thought you'd like to share with our audience that's particularly important?
6: You know, in, in the in the few minutes that I have with the mainstream media, if you will, the, the focus uh, their focus tends to be on on the headline number, and uh, we, we we start with that and go as far as we can in, in the time allowed. What we didn't really get to is what I talked more about in terms of raw materials prices being down and the implications of that. Uh, we didn't talk uh, much at all about imports and exports, which are kind of holding, you know, their own in view of all things. Uh, exports has been down for for six months in a row. Really no surprise, no change there. Uh, that's related to the price of the dollar and to some extent the situation in, in China, where they're still struggling a bit with their economy. Uh, and, and then imports that's up nicely two percentage points still contracting but but very close to fifty.
1: Anything in your respondents' uh, comments that uh, triggered why imports uh, jumped up two points? Um,
6: only only indirectly. Uh, You know, the deflation in raw materials prices, um, you know, that's particularly, you know, true in terms of our imported raw materials. The high prices of the dollar, while we all know and and hear most about that it affects our, you know, finished goods uh, products overseas, in other words, our exports uh, in a negative way, it impacts imports in a positive way because the price of those raw materials are less. With our dollar being high, uh, and in balance, you'll you'll all hear on December 8th, you know what we think that all means uh, for for the the year that we're about to close.
1: Okay. okay. But
6: we do. Let me just say that we import a lot uh, more raw materials than we export finished goods.
1: And and finally, Brad, capital expenditures. I know we all kind of either hoped or expected them to be strong this year. And as you've proceeded through the year month by month, based on your last year's December report and your May update, did capital expenditures come in anywhere close to what you expected?
6: Um, Well, again, I can't comment specifically on what we're going to release on December 8th, but – you know, in, in terms of an industry that specifically uh, aligns with that, uh, we're talking about machinery, right? That's one of our 18 different sectors. And machinery, you know, hasn't been doing particularly well, and this month it's on the declining list. And so there's some, you know, early indication of, of where that stands, Um on December 8th, we'll talk about where we are going to end up this year, and what we pro- project for next year as well. But that tends to be a very, very fluid, uh, dynamic number and forecast, even for not just for us, but for companies specifically, uh, each, each and every one of them. Uh, in you know, in my experience, in 35 years in manufacturing, the CFOs will agree to, to one number going into a budget but they'll hold on to the to the purse strings until they actually see that the year is developing as predicted. If it's starting to go better then they'll open it up and we'll end up spending more uh to to uh, put in more uh equipment and, and plant as well as technology.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I think a lot of what we've seen are, are investments in technology because the ROI is very quick on it and not so much in yeah. the plants and machinery. Yeah, yeah. And
6: that's that's actually another thing that we'll uh, address specifically in our December 8th report is, is uh, in terms of um, production capacity and efficiencies, you know, what are the most – the four most important factors – in driving that efficiency. In other words, what levers did you pull? Was it more employment, uh, more hours uh, for current employment, uh, technology, machinery, etc.? So that will be uh, carved out and, and dealt with in, in some detail.
1: Well, after you get through with the chaos of today, Brad, we'll uh, reach back to you and talk to you about either December 8th or December 15th. We'd love to have you back on the show to talk about that report. We've had you on in prior years. It's excellent information. Certainly anyone who uh, wants to get a sense of what uh, next year is going to look like should go to uh, the ISM and and pull down that report. Brad, we appreciate you having been on the show again today, and I know you're off to your next uh, interview, so thank you for taking the time with us.
6: my pleasure. Thanks so much. Take care.
2: Brad, and you tell the mainstream people hello for us. <laughs> <laughs> and goodbye. And <laughs> goodbye. <Okay. laughs> and thank you. Brad. All right. Thanks. Thank, thank, Stay, you, thank you. Happy holidays. Bye. The same to
1: you. Well, that's interesting information. I guess, uh, Lou, the part that I find the most interesting about it is that no one is at the alarmist stage at this point, given that the number is dropped below 50.
2: So, does that mean I can come in off the ledge?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you can come in and Uh, and take a breath. We'll we'll bank on the fact that this is an echo of 2012 and 2016 will be an echo of
2: 2013, (laughs) going back up. Well, the good news, uh, we've been hearing bits and pieces about uh, GDP projections for uh, 2016 and 17. Uh, I'm not sure if they're... You know what they're smoking, but it certainly seems to be uh, on an upward on an upward trend so um along with what uh, uh Brad is telling us and others uh I guess we'll just have to have patience and wait for the uh, the up thumbs
1: yes, and uh it'll certainly be interesting to see what's in that December eighth report that the i s m is coming out with and for our listeners, we'll see if we can get Brad back on the show to talk about that either on December 8 or on December fifteenth. And that will uh, give you an opportunity to tune in and find out what's going on in 2015. Other than that, I think that wraps us up, Lou, unless you've got a final comment do you want to slide uh, in.
2: Yeah, I just want to mention for those who tuned into the show late uh, that uh, right after the show you'll be able to go to mfgtalkradio.com and the show will be uh, streaming and you'll be able to listen to it from in its entirety Uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you all or hearing you all uh, next week and um, Tim you have a good uh, week
1: thanks you too Lou. feel free to grab MFG Talk Radio on your uh, iPhone, iPad, Android laptop however you get it you can get it all those ways simply by going to mfgtalkradio.com, and that wraps us up for today. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com.